He's big and strong, he's sad and mad, and a little bit funny. You are listening to the Crash Program. Welcome to Season 2 of the Crash Program. I'm your host, Crash Barry. Season 2, a.k.a. Tough Island, is where I tell stories about living on Maine's most remote inhabited island. The Crash Program is commercial-free thanks to listener support via Patreon, where five bucks a month gets you all sorts of perks, including a limited-edition Mary Margaret sticker and access to a Patreon-only audio collection of stories from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. Plus, after six months, you'll receive a signed copy of my novel, Sex, Drugs, and Blueberries, or the print version of Tough Island. Ten bucks monthly gets you the stuff I just mentioned, plus an invite to a really fun annual meetup in Maine. Visit CrashBerry.com for all the details. Now, on to the program. Chapter 12 My fellow sternmen didn't understand my obsession with the uninhabited islands surrounding Matinicus. It was tough to explain my desire to be alone when they thought I was already leading a quasi-hermatic existence in the lower harbor. I'd set foot on the following islands. Ragged ass. Two bush. No man's land. Ten pound. Wooden ball. Because of the distance, the difficulty, and the law, it was highly unlikely I'd ever actually land on Matinicus Rock. But Seal Island four miles to the east, had easy access and was fair game. Back in the olden days, it was a practice target for military bomber pilots. In modern times, it became a bird sanctuary, with a tiny shack in the middle of the island for the occasional official bird watchers from the Audubon Society. Some people might not consider our camping trip on Seal Island to be a romantic getaway, but I did. My pal, Captain Rick Coles, gave us a lift in his boat and towed my borrowed skiff behind almost all the way to Seal Island. When we got close, Alice and I climbed into the skiff and rowed ashore to claim the entire 65-acre island for ourselves. After setting up the tent, we stripped naked to enjoy the last vestiges of a Saturday summer afternoon, followed by wine, water, weed, and food. The only thing we were missing was bug dope. Matinicus didn't have an insect problem, especially down on the shore where a steady breeze always blew. But Seal Island was home to millions of mosquitoes. No see 
and various other bloodsuckers. Dusk and nightfall came quick and forced us into the tent, where we managed to stay occupied with sex and slumber. The next morning, an amazing sunrise woke us. A gentle breeze kept the dawn air bug-free. After making a campfire to boil water for a cup of tea, we explored the island's shoreline of rock, ledge, and bird alone, except for Alice and the squawking birds. Seal Island made Matinicus look like Manhattan. We launched the skiff, intending to circumnavigate the island, but instead a seal grabbed our attention. We watched and followed as the seal approached a string of lobster buoys, then dove at each one, disappearing to follow the pot warp to the bottom, where the seal would attack the trap getting both the bait and the lobsters. Then the seal would surface for a breather and then head to the next buoy. Back when I was working for Captain Donald, a daring seal followed us as we hauled traps in the shallow water around Matinicus Rock. Goddamn seals. When I tossed the short lobsters overboard, the seal caught each one before it sank below the surface. You son of a bitch. That seal dined until its stomach was full, then disappeared. Donald threatened to dispose of the seal. I should kill that goddamn thing. And since I was a hippie ex-Coast Guardsman, but you'll probably rat me out to the Coast Guard, Captain Donald was afraid I'd squeal on him to the authorities for violating federal law. And he was right. <laughs> Seals are the real reason most lobstermen carry weapons aboard their vessels. Guns are used to murder marine mammals, usually, not to shoot fellow humans, usually. No matter how many lobsters the seal stole from us, I still loved them. Impressed and amused by their intelligence and gumption, I understood their motivation. Why bother to hunt when the silly, noisy white man will trap food for you? Besides, the seals called these islands home long before the humans. <coughs> Alice pointed toward a ledge in Frenchman's Cove on the backside of Seal Island. What's that big round thing? I changed course and headed up into the cove where she was pointing. Frenchman's Cove. According to Matinicus lore, Frenchman's Cove was named in honor of the drowned Frenchman found there a century earlier. Do you see it? As we got closer, I saw what she saw. A corpse left behind by the receding tide. 
not a Frenchman, though, but a dead seal. We landed the skiff close by and went to investigate. The body was bloated. Part of the skull seemed to be missing. Let's get out of here, Alice pleaded, grabbing my arm. I don't want to see this. She started to cry when I pushed at the carcass with my foot. Come on, let's go, please, she begged. Now? She would have freaked if I tried to examine the body. The seal's head injury and death were probably the result of a gunshot wound. Most likely by a lobsterman from Matinicus or Vinylhaven. We climbed back into the skiff and rowed back the way we came. And we didn't see any more seals. After lunch, Alice and I ventured to the center of the island to check out the Audubon Society's primitive bird watcher's shack. The door was open, and inside we found Spartan lodging. There was a table, two chairs, two cots, and on a shelf in the corner, a loan book with a crow on the cover. I picked the book up. The Teachings of Don Juan by Carlos Castaneda. I opened to a random page. I wonder what this is about. I flipped through the book, and my eyes were drawn to words. Peyote. Deterra. Mescalito. Flying. In bold print. Non-ordinary reality. Non-ordinary reality. Non-ordinary reality. I knew I needed to read this book. It's all about hallucinogens, I said to Alice. I've heard of him, she answered, almost sneering. Alice wasn't a fan of psychedelics. There's a whole series of books by him. He's a fraud. We returned to our campsite, and I started reading, and was immediately sucked into the alleged tale of a sorcerer and his modern-day apprentice. I spent the rest of the afternoon reading and learning until dinner, wine, and weed. And when darkness returned, so did the bugs. So we rolled into the tent. Alice wasn't happy, though. Really? When I pulled out the book and the flashlight. You're going to read right now? Alice was my first real girlfriend since high school. I've been with many women before and during the Coast Guard. But nothing serious. And we were working on an odd, long-distance relationship. Since I lived 20 miles out to sea, getting together was often difficult, especially considering that hooking up always depended on the unpredictable weather. By this point, we'd been dating for a year, but barely knew each other. Except for the time I spent with her after Captain Donald fired me. I'm done with you. You're fired. <laughs> what? You heard me. Y you can't fire me. 
I can't. Says who? Of course I can. I'm the boss. You can't fire me because I quit. You can't quit. I already fired you. Our meetups averaged about once a month, and our dozen weekends together were devoted to sex. Alice was a very nice person, and we had fun together. But if she wasn't around, I barely thought of her. Except when loneliness and depression struck, then I typed sad letters. Desperate for love. My parents visited Matinicus towards the end of August at the height of the fog season. They'd hoped to fly out from Owl's Head, but the fog was thick, so they had to endure a three-hour voyage aboard Captain Dick Moody's slow boat from Rockland. By the time they reached the island, they were both nauseous from the waves and sick from the boat's diesel fumes. We decided to go for a stroll while Alice stayed behind to cook dinner in her grandparents' cold and damp house. She seems nice, but... My mother said, What are you looking for? This was the first time my parents met Alice. What do you want? And my mom found it odd that Alice was nine years older than me. Why are you dating her? Do you have a plan? What are you looking for? Another mother? What do you need? Um, What is your plan? Do you have a plan? Uh, What is your plan? Do you have a plan? um, I stammered because I didn't like being interrogated. Uh, I don't know. You should have a plan. Unfortunately, it was still too foggy to see Matinicus Rock, or the ledges, or the other islands, so the scenery couldn't be used as a way to change the topic away from Alice and my relationship. Careful, the, the grass is a little wet over here. Okay. Getting slick. A little slippery up here. As we approached the spot where I wiped out on the Honda Manic, my mother slipped on the wet grass. And my father reached for her to stop her fall. But he too lost his balance, and she ended up pulling him down to the ground with her. For a couple seconds, my parents laid silent and motionless on their backs on the grass. And then I helped them to their feet. All right, Dad, give me your hand. Come on. Ah. All right, now let's get Mom up. I knew there was no salvaging their visit. I'm cold. Oh, I'm pretty wet. And both were grumpy. And I didn't blame them. Luckily, we had lobster for dinner, which temporarily boosted their spirits. And they were in bed by sundown. The next morning, the fog lifted. Worried that the sun wouldn't last, my parents decided to fly off Matinicus that afternoon, a day earlier than planned. Penobscot Island Air, can I help you? Uh, yeah, hey, uh, what's the chance of you guys being able to fly my parents off Matinicus this afternoon? Uh, we can probably do it around 1 o'clock. Okay, I'll see you then. After breakfast, we walked down to my fish house. They were disappointed and perhaps even a little disgusted by my living quarters. 
Well, it certainly is rustic. Well, I guess that's uh, one word for it. <laughs> Their mood improved again, though, when my father and I rode out to Captain Edwin Scow and packed a couple coolers with a hundred pounds of lobster for them to bring back home to Springfield, Massachusetts. Our friends and family are going to love eating these lobsters you and Captain Edwin caught. Captain Edwin, generously, was going to truck their lobsters and their luggage up to the airport so my parents and Alice and I could enjoy a leisurely stroll across the island. The airport is exactly a mile away. It's a really nice walk. Up at the crossroads, one of the island pirates approached in his beat-up truck with a broken windshield. Hey, Crash, you got any idea who was driving around with a shotgun last night? Probably a little after 11 o'clock? Uh, no. They shot out all my truck windows. He explained, pointing. These are my parents. They're visiting the island. We're just walking them up to the airport. Oh, nice to meet you, folks. Well, Crash, you hear anything, you let me know, okay? I, I will. See you later. He seems like an interesting fella, my mother said. Uh, yeah, I really don't know him that well. At the airport, my parents hugged Alice and me goodbye. It was so nice to meet you. Bye, Mom and Dad. I love you. Take care, son. <laughs> and I could tell from the look on their faces, they were glad to be leaving. It was a cold and foggy Halloween night. I'd just been up to the parsonage where the school teacher and his new bride lived to help stage a haunted house for the island kids. Why, hello there, and welcome. <laughs> I'd had a couple of drinks and was looking forward to slumber. I was almost to the lower harbor when another islander, driving his truck, spotted me on the road. Oh uh, yeah, you better watch out. Shoe and Buzz are on a rampage. They're drunk. They've been fighting each other all night long. These two fellas were my only neighbors. Shoe and Buzz. Shoe was Captain Red's middle son. Buzz was his buddy. Damn near destroyed the fish house. Most of the windows are all smashed. Captain Red is going to be right pissed. Both dudes lived in Rockland. But during the autumn lobster rush, when they worked as sternmen for Captain Red, they'd spend a couple of nights a week on Matinicus, staying in a shack a hundred feet away from mine, overlooking the gut. You be careful, because they're looking for trouble. I wasn't friends with these guys, but we weren't enemies either. Rock and roll blasted from their shack as I rounded the corner onto Captain Edwin's wharf. Hey, Grass! Shoe jumped out of the shadows. What the? Grabbed my coat, spun me around, and jacked me up against a wall. I need a ride to my mooring. 
You gotta row me there, Shu said menacingly. And we gotta be quiet. Don't want Buzz hearing me leave. Even in the shadows, I could see that Shu's nose was bleeding. And he had blood smeared all over his face. And his fist was drawn back, ready to sock me if I disagreed. We walked to the end of the wharf and lowered Edwin's skiff into the water. Shu followed me down the ladder and into the skiff. Where are you headed? I asked as I rowed toward his mooring. I'm going to Rockland, he said. <laughs> it was almost midnight. Foggy and drizzling, with a chance of it turning into hard rain and rough seas. I'm getting the fuck out of here off this fucking no good rock. Shu was drunk, bloody, and ready to drive his 14 foot outboard across 20 miles of Penobscot Bay. I'll show him. <laughs> a good chunk of it being wide open ocean. Don't tell Buzz you saw me, he said, climbing into his skiff. He won't know what happened. <laughs> Thanks for the lift. I'll catch you later. He started the outboard, released the mooring, and disappeared into the misty dark. later, laying on my futon, I couldn't sleep. I wondered how Shu's trip across the bay was going. He was either a hell of a sailor, or an idiot, or both. Then I heard footsteps on my wharf. The shack shook as Buzz climbed the stairs. He yelled, pounding on the storm door. Crash! Open up! I know you're in there! Thankfully, as a precaution, I had closed and locked the big wooden storm door to my room from the inside. The first and only time I ever locked my door. I know you got some whiskey to share with your old pal, Buzz! <laughs> I didn't answer. He grabbed the door handle and gave it a pull, a yank. Yeah. He pounded and pounded, but finally gave up. As he stormed down the stairs, I was relieved he was gone, but my sense of relief only lasted about five minutes. <laughs> I know you're in there. Again, I didn't answer. And you've got whiskey! Ha! Whiskey! Whiskey! I'm giving you one more chance! Give me whiskey or be prepared to face the consequences! <laughs> I gotta admit, I was scared, and there was nothing I could do. I didn't have a gun, 
I didn't have a phone, and I wasn't about to start a fist fight with a drunken stern man, that's for sure. Okay, Crash. Time's up. Prepare to meet your maker. His gun fired once Whiskey! over the roof of the shack. I know you got some whiskey to share with your old pal, bud. <laughs> Give me some whiskey! Frozen on the futon, I'd never been more terrified. I knew the downstairs shop door was unlocked. Give me some whiskey! And if he wanted to kill me for my whiskey, he could easily fire his shotgun through the floor vent. That's what I was thinking, laying there in a shack with no telephone or marine radio, no way to call for help. And if he did shoot me, could I reach the nearest neighbor? Uh, a quarter mile away, no more ammo. crawling, wounded. On my hands and knees. That's all the bitch. Then I heard the crunch of his boots on the road. Sounded like he was headed home, but I was not gonna get up and check. Soon after, I fell asleep. He was just messing with you. <laughs> Captain Edwin said the next morning. If he wanted to kill you, he would have. Uh, well, he seemed serious. I said. Real serious. We just loaded the boat with empty 55-gallon fuel barrels. We were headed to the mainland to reprovision and take a couple of days off. I was going down to Portland to the Village Cafe. Good evening, welcome to the Village Cafe. For supper with Alice. Uh, hi there, we have reservations. Her mom and dad and my parents who are driving up from Massachusetts. Barry, table of six, uh, non-smoking please. Right this way. We wanted the parents to meet because we had big news to share. Uh, we've got some big news. I've been accepted by the University of Southern Maine. I said. In January, I'll be an English major. So I'm leaving the island. And we're going to move in together. And then next summer, we're going to get married. for listening and remember the crash program is commercial free thanks to listener support via patreon where five bucks a month gets all sorts of perks including a mary margaret sticker i'm sure you'd want that and access to the patreon only audio collection from my time in the u.s coast guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on haitian refugees and remember be careful on tough island He's big and strong, he's sad and mad, and a little bit funny, you.